part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. If you'd open your Bibles to 1 Peter 4, uh, probably about six weeks ago, eight weeks ago, maybe or a little bit longer than that, right before Easter, uh, we were going through the, and we kind of accomplished the first three chapters. Took a little bit of break because we had Easter coming up. And it is a little bit warm in here. Uh, there's two air conditioners that, that run in here, and one is broke. And so the guy is coming, of course, tomorrow. And uh, you can imagine that he had a pretty long list. So, uh, so if it's a little bit warm, it's not because we just decided to turn up the heat a little bit this morning. One of the two air conditioners is working. And hopefully that will be enough. First okay. uh, Peter chapter 4. Uh, last couple of weeks, we've actually been on a little series uh, called Purposeful Parenting. And, and how do we parent truly in that purposeful way? And as we begin to look at that, we wrapped up last week with the story of Joshua and how at the very end of Joshua's life, he was 110 years old when he died. And so he's lived this long life. He's been this warrior and, and kind of this leader. And he was just very, very valiant and a courageous guy. You know, what we know about Joshua is he's, he's courageous. And he's won all these battles. And at the end of his life, he kind of has this last meeting with all the elders and all the important people. And he calls them together. And he basically lays out there. He said, okay, I'm about to die. But I want to leave you with this challenge. And he challenged them about really making a choice about how they were going to live their life. Basically, who are you going to serve? Because here's the reality that Joshua knew. That kind of we all serve something or someone. You know, that to think, well, I don't serve anybody. You do. You can serve yourself. You can serve yourself. You can serve tradition, uh, things that have been passed on to you. You can serve, you know, something that is new and modern that's kind of floating out there in our society, in our culture. And you're going, man, I really like that. I like how they do all that and how they've involved this and that. And, and I, I want that happy life that they're promising in this postcard or in this program. Bottom line, guys, at the end of the day, we will have served somebody that day. Bottom line is tomorrow you will serve somebody tomorrow. And it could be a myriad of things. But, but basically Joshua said, let me break it down to kind of three things. And, and we saw this at the end of Joshua chapter 24, verse 14 and 15. He says, now therefore the Lord, and, uh, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this name who you will serve. Whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And we ended with that. And he said, okay, he puts this choice out there. And if we just kind of wanted to break that down, here's the simplicity of what he was saying. Okay, guys, in life you kind of have three things that you can serve. One is tradition and kind of just what you believe to be true. Maybe things passed on by your forefathers way back there. He said you can serve that. He said another choice is that you can serve the current trend of the day. He talked about the Amorites. That's where they were actually dwelling in that day. And certainly they had customs that were different from the Israelites. He said, so you can take on the customs of the society around you, and certainly there is a pull to that in, in our day. You know, just be happy. You know, don't, don't look for trouble, and just look for happiness in life and, and kind of serve yourself. That would really be kind of the theme of the music playing in our society and culture right now. Just be, you know, please yourself. 
Just do what you want to do. And then he gives this third one. He says, you know, as far as me, we're going to serve the Lord. My family and I, we're going to serve the Lord. And and really, in reality, those are the choices that we have, that you're going to serve something every day. And it's going to be something of a tradition that's been passed on. And it's going to be something that kind of makes a lot of common sense at times. It may be the new and the current. You go, I kind of like this new flavor that's out there because they're talking about being happy all the time. And one thing that I'd like is to be happy all the time. But one of the choices there is to serve the Lord. And that doesn't come necessarily with tradition, even though that could be a traditional view. It doesn't come void of happiness, but certainly it doesn't promise happiness. And so sometimes as we see that challenge that's there to choose who we're going to serve, we don't make an active choice in the sense that we just sit down and say, okay, for this day, I'm going to serve the Lord. I mean, what do you think would be different in your life if every morning when you woke up, You just kind of had a time of mental focus, and you say, this day, I'm going to serve the Lord. That would probably be a little bit different than just kind of waking up and kind of letting life dictate what road you're going to go down. We begin to see this, and what we saw was the aftermath of what happened. There was those during Joshua's day that very much served the Lord. But after that generation died out, there were those people that knew about God, but they didn't really serve God in a really real faithful way. And by the third generation that came along, we, said, we saw that they did what was right in their own eyes. It says that twice in the book of Judges, that that third generation did what was right in their own eyes, and they knew not God. Not, not a political statement, but just a statement of reality. Ronald Reagan, remember one of his famous lines? Hey, freedom is one generation away that if the next generation doesn't pick up the mantle of freedom, then it's one generation away. He wasn't trying, you know, I'm not trying to make a political statement. I'm just, that's a reality that we're one generation away if the mantle of our faith is not picked up. And that's kind of where we left it. Well, believe it or not, that's actually a very good place to come into First Peter. Because when we come into First Peter and we kind of segue back into it, we find the churches, the Christians, this is a letter to Christians, And it's a letter to the Christians in Asia Minor. These people were non-Jewish people in their background. That is, they were Gentiles. They had kind of a, if you want to say, a very different past than a religious past in a Christian sense. And, And now Peter is talking to them. They've come to Christ. They're trying to live for Christ. And yet they have found out that life is pretty frustrating at times. In fact, they're being killed and persecuted by some of those that are in authorities the Roman government and others. And they're facing adversity even though they are now following Christ. And a lot of the adversity that they're actually facing is because they are followers of Christ. See, that's the hard part that is not often on become a Christian postcard. It's kind of like what a lot of the military service, see the world, not get up at 4 o'clock and run 5 miles, you know, you know, it's, not, it's one of those, it, you, you get to see the world, but you get to see it at 4 a.m. And you get to see it at a slow, you know, slow pace as you're trotting through 5, 10, 15 miles and all the other things that come with it. You know, what they sell you on is the adventure part, but uh, not until you get into boot camp do you really understand what the adventure is all about. And sometimes, guys, let's just be really honest here. Christianity, if we oversell it, please listen, listen really, really close here. 
if we oversell Christianity that is not biblically based and oversell it to be the best life now, we're leading a lot of people to a place of destruction and we're leading a lot of people to a place of disappointment. That does not mean that we cannot be totally fulfilled in Jesus Christ right now. Please don't get me wrong. This is my best life right now. But it is one of those because of who I am in Christ. Not because the circumstances of my life have all suddenly aligned. And see, this is the problem with promoting a Christianity where God is your best friend and he's just always, he's just waiting every day to work out every problem and situation in your life. Folks, bottom line is we live in a broken world. God didn't break it. Our rebellion against the holy God broke it. And we live in the trappings of that broken world. And so to say that we're ever going to find total satisfaction, so to speak, in this world, I, I think it's just unbiblical. And that's why God is always pointing us to eternity. And in the big picture, that's fine. But you and I are going to have to get up, and tomorrow is going to be Monday morning, and we're facing a lot of difficulty. This has been kind of a challenging week as a pastor because you just love your people. Um, went over to the Odoms the other night, and, uh, and my, my buddy Seth is just really struggling, guys. You know, his, his health, and, and they try to give him an answer to some of his dilemmas there, and you get your hopes up, and then all of a sudden that doesn't work out. And you can only do that so many times before you get really, really discouraged and kind of overwhelmed. Carly and I went over. I see Lynn was able to come this one, come over Friday night, and... and uh, to eat with the Lynn and Bob, and um, what a wonderful time. What a great time. And yet my heart is troubled. There's my buddy. And the ALS is progressing pretty fast. And your heart is broken for Lynn, for Bob, for their family. Carly and I go down to the hospital yesterday. Uh, they said we can share this, so I'm not sharing this out of, you know, but uh, if you notice that the Eastmans are not here this morning. Uh, Abby was supposed to have her birthday party on Friday. I think you were already on your way over there, weren't you, Becca? And they get a call from the doctor. They just had an appointment that morning just to do a checkup. Uh, by Friday night, they were in children's health care. And Abby has type 1 diabetes. You can live with that. My, my son-in-law has that. He, he, he survives well with it. But her life has forever changed in a matter of a day. Now, I share that with you guys because, you know, if we're just saying, okay, best life now, God, somehow you're just going to work out all the wrinkles and all the humps and all the bumps. You're just going to work out, and it's just going to be this one. Folks, nowhere in the Bible does it say that. Here's what God has said. Man, I will love you. I will give you grace. I will give you strength to face everything you have to face. And then eventually you're coming home. And you're going to be home forever and ever and ever and ever. But this temporary time, he said, you're going to have some really, really good days. And there's going to be days at the beach. And there's going to be times when you look around and go, I am the most blessed person in the world. And there's going to be other days that are going to be quite challenging. And that there's actual suffering. 
That's what Peter's trying to relate to. Now, he's not just coming with suffering. We're going to see in two weeks as we get down to, chapter, uh, to verse 12 and 13 when it says don't be expected when suffering comes in your life. And we're going to see all kinds of different suffering. This morning as we open up chapter 4, verse 1, what we see is a suffering that comes upon the hills of truly the committed life to Christ, that we actually suffer because we actually are committed to Christ. It's not because we got a disease. It's not because we live in a broken world. But this is something that we've actually kind of invited upon ourselves. Why? Because we want to live for Jesus Christ. Look what he says, verse 1. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Now that may seem like a really kind of strange, you know, what is he talking about that if you join Christ, and what does it mean that if you suffer that you cease to sin? Let's kind of break that apart a little bit. How many of you, depending on your version, the first or the second word is the word what? Here's the second word. Therefore. So he's linking something. Well, what did he just cover in chapter 3? He talked all about Christ, his death, and his eventual resurrection. So he's talking about the suffering of Christ, but he's also talking about an eventual resurrection of Christ. So here he goes, okay, therefore, let me link our lives now, that if you're following Christ, here's your link, therefore, understand that just as Christ suffered, but then he was resurrected. There are times of suffering that's going to come in your life. But there's also going to be a resurrection. And guys, I mean, I can't wait to happen. And, and yet the reality is tomorrow and the next day and the next day, we may have to face some suffering. So how do we hold that in that light? This word, therefore, connects us to Christ in his example. The one great thing that we see there is that, that Christ has kind of already laid the, the land. You know, he's already covered for us at any place that we would go. You will never go in your life. You will never go anywhere in your life that Christ has not already been and shown us the way. And I know sometimes it feels like we're not and that we're alone. But I promise you, there will be no experience that you've ever experienced in your life. So well, I'm a parent, and my child is going through this, and Jesus never had children. No. In one way, the Father has, you know, all those who have followed him are, are his children. And it, it does, I think, it breaks the heart of the Father. I don't think the Father in heaven is going, you know, I'm kind of glad to see your suffering right now. No, he sees the end and the the metal and the maturity that it produces so he can be steadfast in that. But I don't think that there's joy. I don't know that there's joy in that. Because if we go to Hebrews and when we begin to see that author and he says, you know, even when God disciplines us, there's not really joy in that. There's love in it, but there's not joy because any discipline is not pleasant at the time, but what it produces, what it produces is joyful. Does that make sense? So I don't think God's up in heaven going, you know, it really doesn't matter to me that you're having to deal with this. No, it really matters to God. But he is steadfast in this maturing process that happens. But what Peter is basically saying here is that suffering uh, is normal. It's not abnormal. Look a little ahead what we're going to cover in two weeks in verse 12. Just kind of skip down a little bit. And Peter says it best. Behold, do not be surprised at the, what kind of trial? Fiery trial. Not, you know, roast your marshmallows here. 
No, we're talking about fiery trial, okay? This isn't a keep warm by the fire kind of. This is a fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Peter in no way is setting up this, this Christianity to be escapism, that somehow God's going to come in and take his holy wand and kind of do it over your life, and every trouble and every measure of suffering is going to go out of our lives. He gives us the biggest picture that this is not what's going to happen here. And when we try to sell Christianity as something that will stop suffering, hey, just come to know Christ and all your troubles will go away. How many of y'all have found that to be true? How many of you have found the sweetness and the beauty of God in the midst of your suffering? This is how we fight our battles. Still a battle. Don't get it wrong. It is a battle, guys. This is how we fight. You know, that, that God, when we think the world and our problem has surrounded us, then we actually find that we're surrounded by the grace and the mercy and the kindness of a loving Father who is right there with us. This is the hope of Christianity, not the absence of problems. Peter actually says that suffering is to be expected, and it would come when we actually follow Christ and we follow him well. He makes a connection that may seem odd. He says because of his suffering, there's a a path of sinlessness. Again, look at verse 1. Since therefore Christ in the flesh, suffered in the flesh, Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. Think like Christ. For whoever suffered in the flesh has ceased to sin. What does he mean from that? What he means is, as we mature more and more as Christians, that more and more we're going to make the choice that will bring some suffering into our lives. But it's actually leading us against the path of sinfulness. Let me give you an example. How many of you have ever been done wrong by somebody before? Yeah. And how many have wanted to exact revenge upon that person? And I've often said, in counseling, I've often said, if you didn't think there was a sweetness in revenge, you just haven't done it right. Because <laughs> there's something about this worldly passion, there's something about who we are, that when somebody has really hurt us, are let's take it to a whole other level, hurt our kids, then all of a sudden there is something that really revenge for that moment is a human passion. And, and done rightly can satisfy the flesh, not the soul, but the flesh, in that moment or five minutes or a day or a week or a month. But Christ says, no, you forgive. You forgive as you've been forgiven. Instead of exacting revenge, I'm actually supposed to forgive this person. I'm actually supposed to love this person, maybe even embrace this person. But, but the hardest thing, here, I'm not supposed to forgive this person. Here's what Peter's saying by that example. The human passion within you says revenge. You hurt my child, I hurt you. And it makes sense to everybody in here that's a parent. Okay, we, we get that. He says, but no, I, I've told you to forgive as you've been forgiven. And that's a path of maturity. It's really hard. But is there some human suffering in the path of forgiveness? That you gave up your passion as a mom or a dad to exact revenge? Yeah. I mean, the big picture, the eternal picture, is one of, you know, 
in the long run, it's great. You forgave. You went the way of Christ. But in the short run, I mean, every time that we deny our human passions, as we're going to see here, there is an amount of suffering, human suffering, of the flesh that kind of happens. And Paul is just real enough to tell us about that. I'm going to ask a question. All the married folks here, okay, be ready to answer this. And I want you to answer it out loud. And I want you to answer it out somewhat immediately. Okay? You can deal with it later this afternoon. <laughs> okay, so just be ready. And the answer is either yes or no. Okay. Has married life brought a form of suffering to you? There, there might have been one or two that you're playing the political card and you're going, no. Best life now. You know? But all the honest people said, yes. Now, let's examine this. Marriage has brought to me more joy than I could ever imagine. I don't know that Carly would say the same, but to me it has brought more joy than I could ever imagine. But to say that that it has not come without some suffering because there's times in marriage that because of this covenant that I've made, because of this commitment that I've made, that sometimes I don't get my way. That's what what he's saying here. There's still a part of me that wants to do all the things my own way. But now I've made a responsible decision and a commitment, and because of that commitment, that commitment now changes the way that I view some things. Folks, the same is true with parenting. Do you love your kids? Yeah, have they brought more joy than you can imagine? Yes. But can we say that it hasn't brought some suffering? (laughs) Preach it! (laughs) My my oldest daughter and and Ashley and Trevor, and this was planned way long before, uh, since they had a child, or knew that they were expecting his family said, we're going to take the whole family, brothers, sisters, kids, everybody, to Disney World. So yesterday, uh, they packed up Elliot at three months old and uh, 12 hours to Orlando, and they will be in Disney for uh, the next week. Yeah, I see all the moms going, no. (laughs) Um, Yeah. (laughs) See, in the old days, you can say, hey, you want to go get a pizza? Remember those days? Now, now you go, okay, if we go get a pizza, here's what we're going to have to do. You have to start making phone calls and babysitting. Okay, you get the point. Parenting, is it a blessing to you? Yes. Is it an amazing blessing to you? Does it bring some suffering because you choose to be a good parent? And at times that means sacrifice. It means that you've changed your, uh, your voice over what the flesh would say. That's the illustration that Peter is bringing. He says, as you follow Christ, as you follow Christ, you're going to have to say no to the flesh. And those earthly passions, those fleshly passions, are still there. I would love to say that the minute that I came to know Christ, I haven't had anything but, you know, unselfish thoughts. No, I can be very selfish. I would love to say that I have never been stricken with pride since 12 years old when Christ came to my heart. No, I live with pride every day. My pride my desire. What do you think about me? And you just hurt my feelings. Every day. 
If we're going to follow Christ, what Peter is saying is there's a amount of suffering that comes with it because you're choosing at that point, if you're truly going to follow Christ, to take the, we could call it the higher road, but you're going to take the way that Christ did. And that's what he means by ceasing to sin. That the more and more that I'm not serving my pride and I'm actually giving of myself, I'm stopping that sin in my life. He's not meaning that we become sinless. He doesn't mean that, okay, if you suffer, then you're going to be this person that never sins again. Do you see the connection? It's the choice that you made. Now, none of this earns you salvation. He's talking to people who are already Christians. He's not saying if you make a whole bunch of right choices, God looks down and says, okay, I I choose you because you're a good person. Now, these are people that have come to know Christ. Now they're struggling because their life's pretty tough. And even some of their friends and family have now died by the Roman sword and other means of death because of their stand for Christ. So at the same time, instead of talking out of both sides of his mouth, Peter is just pure honest. And he addresses, this is real suffering. You just lost a dad, a husband, a daughter, a wife to these Romans who are persecuting Christians. The reality is real. And yet, as you go through this, just know that there is Christ. And that you are not going anywhere that Christ did not already go. Look at verse 4. Knowing that choices have consequences. You get married, there's consequences. Great, great joy, but now great responsibility. You have children, great, great joy, but great responsibility. Keeping that, folks, look what he says. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. He's talking about old friends. Anybody, any of the guys remember when you first got married and the old group of guys asked you to go out on Friday night? And the first time, I mean, it's okay to go out on Friday night with the guys as long as you're doing things that would make you true to your covenant with your wife, Okay. So there's nothing wrong with it. But I found myself, there was a point in time, because of the commitment to my wife now, I said no to some of the old choices. It wasn't necessarily just evil choices. And I can remember, I can remember especially one guy, I won't call him by name. Well, that's why I'm never going to get married. Because I'm not going to let my wife beat me down like that. Well, that's when the pride came up. <laughs> and I, I had to resist the pride. Buddy, this isn't being beaten down. This is a choice that I freely made. I love my wife. And I want to be with her on Friday night. Do I still want to go out with the guys from time to time? Yes, but not this Friday night. I want to be with my wife. And because of this commitment to this covenant that we have, I choose this not because I'm forced to, but because now I desire this. That's what he means in verse 4. He said, man, you might start making choices for Christianity, especially all of our students here. I promise you guys, it will cost you. It will cost you. You stand for Christ in your school, it will cost you. There will be an amount of suffering. You, you may have to sit at the table at lunch all by yourself. That's no fun. Whoever wants to do that? Nobody. But that may be the call of Christ. The choice before you is, okay, do I blend in or do I stand for Christ on this matter? And that standing for Christ may mean that even some of the people that you thought were your friends all of a sudden kind of separated from you a little bit. 
That's what Peter is talking about. That some of the suffering that we endure in life is not just sickness because we live in a broken world. It's not just hardship because life is tough. He says, these are the sufferings that because you have chosen to follow Christ. Yet, here's the promise. I love how it's one of my favorite, favorite verses in the Bible from Paul. You know how I felt about Romans 8. It's just this, this mountaintop of spiritual writing. And in Romans 8.18, this is what Paul said. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. Question, folks, today. Let's just be honest and real. How many of you... Do, do we have that verse? Can you put that one up there? Oh, it's not up there. Okay, my bad. My bad. I didn't include that in the slides. How many of you believe that? That the sufferings of this world do not compare to the glory that's going to be revealed. Do you believe that? Is it hard to believe that on a certain Monday or a certain Tuesday at 3 o'clock when sufferings come into our life? Is it hard to believe that if all of a sudden it costs you a friendship because you stand for Christ? This is, this is the, the point he's getting to. He's talking to people that are experiencing real cost to their decision to follow Christ. And with this cost has come suffering. He said, but I, here's the promise. Here's the promise. I mean, this is what Paul is saying, but it applies here to what Peter is writing. I promise you, I promise you that no suffering in this world can begin to compare to the glory that's going to be revealed. So here's the challenge, guys. Here's the challenge. More and more and more and more, we need to live life in the light of eternity. And that's challenge. I mean, Paul even begins to introduce this a little bit. Look what he says in verse 5. He says, but they will give an account. He's talking about these people that are kind of making fun of you because you're living for Christ. And they've kind of, you know, come on, just come play with us. Do these things. And they're kind of amazed that you've made this commitment in your life and you're not doing that anymore. And, and look what he says. And he's not being mean-spirited about this in verse 5. He's just being real. He said, but they will give an account to him who's ready to judge the living and the dead. In other words, there will be an accounting one day. We, we will stand before God as judge. And he's not saying that from a mean-spiritedness of, okay, yeah, they're going to have their time. That's what he's saying. Is, okay, guys, when that day comes... And I stand before my God one day and all I can claim is Christ. The glory will be revealed. And for those that are not in Christ, this sounds so, you know, unloving. Their glory will not be revealed. Their destruction will be revealed. Please hear my heart. I don't say that in any satisfaction. I want every single person I ever come upon know Christ, to follow Christ, and to know that glory one day. But there is that stark reality that our choices do matter. And what Peter's trying to give us is a grip, not just for eternity, so that we can set our eyes upon Jesus and that we can keep our eyes upon Jesus and that eternal focus. Peter's trying to get us through Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. And the hardest part of my Christian life is not my focus upon eternity. I long for that. 
the greatest challenge, the greatest rub that I feel in my faith is Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. And maybe you can identify with that. That there's still some flesh and there's still some of you and there's this, and this following Christ, when it calls for suffering, that's a really hard road to go down sometimes. And yet I promise, more than that, God promises. Any present suffering does not compare to the glory that will be revealed. This is our hope. This is our hope. I don't know where you are right now. I mean, I know some of our families are going through a, uh, please understand how I use this term, a living hell right now. Their days are really challenged. Not just the three families I just told you about, but, but other families. They're just, they're really struggling to, you know, not so much to keep the faith, their eyes are on Christ and they're trying to, to, to maintain that focus. But many of you can identify because you're saying, Bobby, you just kind of described my life. <laughs> you know, my struggle isn't in that big picture. I believe in God. I know that God in the end is going to succeed. My, my struggle is how do I get through Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday of this next week? And here's the promise. As God says, no, man, I, it's not that I don't care about Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, but just pry your eyes open, pry your arms open, pry your mind open, think like Christ. I mean, it gives me a little bit of solace to know that in the garden, Christ himself, Son of God, prays, Father, if you're willing, let this cup, this cup of wrath, this judgment of sin, that's all of man's sin placed on me. If, 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 if there's another way, let this cup pass by me. But then how did he finish that? But not my will be done, but thine. What is Christ's expression right there? He's expressing he was truly God, but he was truly man. And there was nothing in that man part that wanted the cross. I really wanted the, the wrath of God and, and the separation from a holy God. And, and I love that human moment of, of Christ. Because now I can identify with Christ all that much more. Man, even he had this very human moment when he says, this is not what I want. I don't want that suffering. But not my will, but thy will be done. Which leads to his death. More importantly, guys, leads to his resurrection. And here's the great news for us. And then we'll stop. Sometimes there is suffering, and sometimes there's even death in the sense of the death of a dream, a death of, a death of this. It doesn't have to be the physical death before there's resurrection in our lives, before God brings to something, you know, a new pathway that we never knew about before. Sometimes jobs can be like that, that he brings a job to an end, and we're going, oh, my goodness, what am I going to do? And then all of a sudden, God opens up the door for another job, and we're going, man, I would have never picked this job in a thousand years, and I'm as happy as I can be. Thank you, God, that you, you know, you had this. There's all kinds of things like that that sometimes God brings a little bit to a death so that there can be resurrection. And this point, I, I don't know. I would never want to belittle the struggle or the, str- the suffering that you're going through right now. I just don't want to give you a false hope that's not biblical that God's going to come out there and abracadabra tomorrow morning is going to be gone. This, I can tell you, he will be with you each measure of the way. He will give you grace and strength. He will be kind. He will love. He will do everything. And he will bring an eventuality that all that suffering, when, you, when, when it's in Christ Jesus, that it does not even compare to the glory, the glory that one day will be revealed.
So how do we do it? We keep our eyes on Jesus. That sounds so biblical. That sounds so churchy. But you wonder why it sounds so churchy? Because it's the right answer. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full into his wonderful face. And all these things, all these things, begin to dim in the light of his glory and grace. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you. Father, there is no winner if we start comparing whose scar and hurt is the biggest this morning. There will always be somebody that is troubled over something much more minor than we are, and they are fretting, and we kind of sit back in our humanity and go, if you only knew what a real trouble was. And yet, Father, we don't have to look too far in our life to see people that are troubled and suffering much, much more than we are. So, Father, we're not here this morning to compare how big our scars are, our hurts are. Father, we're here to look upon you. And you've said that while you may not take suffering out of our life, in fact, if we follow you directly and strongly, actually more suffering is going to come into our life. But, Father, you made a promise. And that promise, Father, is that, that in the end, we win. We get you. So on those really, really hard days, when we want the best life right now, and that's the furthest thing that could be describing of our life, Father, help us just to turn our eyes upon your Son and look upon the grace and the kindness and the love and that he went there first, died on a cross, laid in a tomb for three days, and rose again to give us victory over death and the grave. We love you and we thank you, Father. And we sing this song as a prayer to you as we close this morning, Father. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.